Introduction Part 4 of The Social Cancer, a complete English version of Noli Me Tangere from the Spanish of José Rizal by Charles Darbyshire. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Avaí in October 2011. Translator's Introduction, Part 4 God save thee, ancient mariner, from the fiends that plague thee thus. Why lookst thou so? With my crossbow I shot the albatross. Coleridge It was one of those magic December mornings of the tropics, the very nuptials of earth and sky, when great nature seems to fling herself incontinently into creation, wrapping the world in a brooding calm of light and colour, that Spain chose for committing political suicide in the Philippines. Bagumbayan Field was crowded with troops, both regulars and militia, for every man capable of being trusted with arms was drawn up there, excepting only the necessary guards in other parts of the city. Extra patrols were in the streets, double guards were placed over the archiepiscopal and gubernatorial palaces. The calmest man in all Manila that day was he who must stand before the firing squad. Two special and unusual features are to be noted about this execution. All the principal actors were Filipinos. The commander of the troops and the officer directly in charge of the execution were native-born, while the firing squad itself was drawn from a local native regiment, though it is true that on this occasion a squad of peninsula cazadores armed with loaded mausers stood directly behind them to see that they failed not in their duty again there was but one victim for it seems to have ever been the custom of the spanish rulers to associate in these gruesome affairs some real criminals with the political offenders no doubt with the intentional purpose of confusing the issue in the general mind Rizal, standing alone, the occasion of so much hurried preparation and fearful precaution, is a pathetic testimonial to the degree of incapacity into which the ruling powers had fallen, even in chicanery. After bidding good-bye to his sister and making final disposition regarding some personal property, the doomed man, under close guard, walked calmly, even cheerfully, from Fort Santiago along the Malecon to the Luneta, accompanied by his Jesuit confessors. Arrived there, he thanked those about him for their kindness, and requested the officer in charge to allow him to face the firing squad, since he had never been a traitor to Spain. This the officer declined to permit, for the order was to shoot him in the back. Rizal assented with a slight protest, pointing out to the soldiers the spot in his back at which they should aim, and with a firm step took his place in front of them. Then occurred an act almost too hideous to record. There he stood, expecting a volley of Remington bullets in his back. Time was, and life's stream ebbed to eternity's flood, when the military surgeon stepped forward and asked if he might feel his pulse. Rizal extended his left hand, and the officer remarked that he could not understand how a man's pulse could beat normally at such a terrific moment. The victim shrugged his shoulders and let the hand fall again to his side. Latin refinement could be no further refined. 
A moment later there he lay, on his right side, his life-blood spurting over the luneta curb, eyes wide open, fixedly staring at that heaven where the priests had thought all those centuries agone that justice abides. The troops filed past the body, for the most part silently, while desultory cries of Viva España from among the patriotic Filipino volunteers were summarily hushed by a Spanish artillery officer's stern rebuke. Silence, you rabble! To drown out the fitful cheers and the audible murmurs, the bands struck up Spanish national airs. Stranger death dirge no man and system ever heard. Carnival revelers now dance upon the scene, and Filipino schoolboys play baseball over that same spot. A few days later another execution was held on that spot, of members of the Liga, some of them characters that would have richly deserved shooting at any place or time, according to existing standards, but notable among them there knelt, torture-crazed, as to his orisons, Francisco Rosas, millionaire capitalist, who may be regarded as the social and economic head of the Filipino people, as Rizal was fitted to be their intellectual leader. Shades of Anda and Vargas. Out there, at Palintawak, rather fitly, the home of the snake demon, not three hours' march from this same spot, on the very edge of the city, Andres Bonifacio and his literally sansculotic gangs of cutthroats were, almost with impunity, soiling the fair name of freedom with murder and mutilation, rape and rapine, awakening the worst passions of an excitable, impulsive people, destroying that essential respect for law and order which to restore would take a holocaust of fire and blood with a generation of severe training. Unquestionably did Rizal demonstrate himself to be a seer and prophet when he applied to such a system the story of Babylon and a fateful handwriting on the wall. But forces had been loosened that would not be so suppressed. The time had gone by when such wild methods of repression would serve. The destruction of the native leaders, culminating in the executions of Rizal and Rosas, produced a counter-effect by rousing the Tagalogs, good and bad alike, to desperate fury, and the aftermath was frightful. The better classes were driven to take part in the rebellion, and Cavite especially became a veritable slaughter-pen, as the contest settled down into a hideous struggle for mutual extermination. Dark Andres went his wild way to perish by the violence he had himself invoked, a prey to the rising ambition of a young leader of considerable culture and ability, a schoolmaster named Emilio Aguinaldo. His Katipunan hovered fitfully around Manila, for a time even drawing to itself in their desperation some of the better elements of the population, only to find itself sold out and deserted by its leaders, dying away for a time. But later, under changed conditions, it reappeared in strange metamorphosis as the rallying centre for a large number of Filipinos who have ever gathered together for a common purpose, and then finally went down before those thin, grim lines in khaki with sharp and sharpest shot clearing away the wreck of the old, blazing the way for the new, the broadening sweep of democracy announcing in rifle volleys death-winged under her star banner to the tune of yankee doodle-doo 
that she is born and whirlwind-like will envelop the whole world manila december first nineteen o nine author's dedication to my fatherland recorded in the history of human sufferings is a cancer of so malignant a character that the least touch irritates it and awakens in it the sharpest pains thus how many times when in the midst of modern civilizations i have wished to call thee before me now to accompany me in memories now to compare thee with other countries hath thy dear image presented itself showing a social cancer like to that other Desiring thy welfare, which is our own, and seeking the best treatment, I will do with thee what the ancients did with their sick, exposing them on the steps of the temple, so that every one who came to invoke the divinity might offer them a remedy. And to this end I will strive to reproduce thy condition faithfully, without discriminations. I will raise a part of the veil that covers the evil, sacrificing to truth everything, even vanity itself, since, as thy son, I am conscious that I also suffer from thy defects and weaknesses. The Author Europe, 1886 End of Introduction, Part 4